Welcome to the Xbox wrap up. I'm your host, Captain Logan, or just Logan, if you want to call me that. If you want to call me late for supper, you can do that too. I just want to know what's for supper. There's lots of news to go over this week as we talk about Xbox news. Uh, we talk about PlayStation news. We're going to be talking about just about everything you can imagine that happened this week because, well, that's what this show's about. What are you coming for if not the news? So, uh, well, it's probably just, you know, my, my amazing personality and witting witting and charm and uh all that fun stuff anyway let's get into some of the news we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff this week uh as we found out uh, we got some videos from starfield that gave us some insight as to what kind of game that's going to be i'm very excited tunic some news about that if you've been waiting for that foxy zelda game uh flintlock is a game i think you guys should probably be paying attention to also i want to talk about ea plays live event uh canceling itself if ea play doesn't cancel themselves uh we will definitely do it for them uh the initiative if you don't know, is that quadruple A game studio at Xbox. It's been very secretive until their announcement of them producing or at least uh, starting up the Perfect Dark game. That might be in some trouble. And I'm going to dive into the state of play that happened this week for PlayStation, which doesn't really make sense because it's a third party game. But Warner Brothers Avalanche Studios is making Hogwarts Legacy. Can Hogwarts Legacy outlive JK Rowling's? We'll have to talk about that in a little bit as we uh, dive into the state of play that happened i'm I, I have some feelings about this but we're gonna get into all that and more on this week's episode of the xbox wrap-up if you missed the news don't worry i got you covered because that's why you're listening if you're not i again I, maybe the wit and charm not really let's get into it First up, um, I feel like I want to get it. I want to get this out of the way. Uh, Sony had a state of play this week, which was funny because it's it's not really a state of play to show off a, a game that was something for just PlayStation. This is a, a third party uh, game that's going to be coming to PlayStation, but it's also going to be coming to Xbox as well. Uh, I don't think this is something that is coming to uh, Switch just based on the, the graphics and stuff. But um, this week, Avalanche studios finally came in and gave us a bit of a deep dive on what hogwarts legacy is going to be um for those of you that don't know a little background on myself i am a huge huge harry potter fan uh i got into the books uh pretty pretty late into the series um the world is amazing the world helped me uh, find a, a, some happiness during a time where I was dealing with a lot of depression. Um, thank you, Alaska. Uh, but I, I wanted to kind of talk about this because first off, right off the bat, um, there's a lot of conversation that's going on about JK Rowling um, and her transphobia in the statements that she's made about that. Uh, to be clear, I support the trans community just to get that out of the way because I have no love for JK. I do love the world that she created in very much the same way that I love a lot of art that uh, has people in it that I don't necessarily uh, agree with or think really have like any sense of uh, decency in them. Um, I will still watch movies with Kevin Spacey in them because I can detach myself enough from the art, from the artist to still appreciate what I liked about them before I found out how gross he was. Uh, plenty of things like that. There's definitely a personal perspective on this, um, and I'm not telling you how to feel about this, and I'm not telling you that you need to support the game or that you need to uh, support the Harry Potter books or anything like that. Um, I will tell you that just from my own perspective, 
Um, I support the, the trans community, but I also feel like I would lose a large part of who I am if I gave up uh, the my connection to that wizarding world. I have wands that I got from the, the Warner Brothers uh, Universal Studios Florida place like i i've been so i've been sorted into a house uh, my house like three times and came out ravenclaw like it's just part of my dna i have tattoos of of harry potter because it's just it means that much to me so why does this matter when we talk about hogwarts legacy because it's the discourse right now and while i think that there's definitely a lot to be said about not supporting someone monetarily being able to to vote with your wallet on this instance i definitely think that if you feel strong enough that you cannot separate the artist from the art and you don't want to support uh, jk rowling whether it's it's the the harry potter books the harry potter movies the new books that she's writing that no one ever brings up uh or you know the old the older books that she had uh under a different pen name if you don't want to support her i i 100 percent support uh, that um the thing that i plan to do is i plan to buy this game to support the developers who are passionate about the world the way i'm passionate about the world where harry potter has trans transcended the artist and become more than just the sum of its parts it has infused so many communities and created uh groups where people did not have a safe place to be and because of that because of the good that i've seen a common uh, uh fondness for a franchise um i i choose to look at that and try to support the people who are different from me who i don't have a good way to speak from uh, to, to be able to give them my support. So uh, what I've decided to do with Hogwarts Legacy is I will I will match the price of, of the game uh, for when I spend my money towards, you know, WB Avalanche Studios uh, to support the devs that are making this game. I will take the same amount of money and I will look for uh, a, a, a good community, a good uh, nonprofit to support trans uh, communities and make sure that I, I am matching uh, what I'm giving to the, the studio that's making this game as well as the, the trans community. So I wanted to do some, both to support that. And this, sound, this may come off as virtual sig virtue signaling, it's it's not intended as that. It's it's kind of me rationalizing my my purchase for it. It's it's how I deal morally with the 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 issue of this. It's it's like, how do I feel about buying uh, an iPhone when I know that the people that probably make iPhones aren't getting paid nearly as many as much as the people who are designing iPhones? But I'm still using iPhones, so you really have to kind of come to this with your own personal perspective. How do you feel about it? How does it affect you? Is there something that you can do to help kind of promote the voices that should be promoted instead of uh, pr uh, supporting the ones that may have uh, some sort of drip feed of cash coming from this and, and kind of come to terms with that on your own? And I would just ask you, much like myself, don't judge people for their choices because you're not in their perspective and you should not take that uh, for granted when you find out someone is supporting something that you may not morally agree with. It's a, it's an empathy. It's an ethical issue. Um, but we have ethical issues every single day, whether or not you're buying something from Amazon and how you feel about Jeff Bezos and all the money that he's wasting on, you know, not supporting things that could probably do with a lot of support, uh, whether you're buying a Tesla from Elon Musk or things like that, you know, there's, 
so many ethical issues that as someone in a privileged spot that I'm in have to make on a daily basis. And I try to do good when I can, when I can, where I can, uh, to try and, and, you know, see if there's something that I can provide. But when it comes to Hogwarts legacy, this is something that I'm going to be talking about. It's something that I'm looking forward to. It's something that I want to support because this is probably the first time I think I've ever seen a game designed in this world that makes me feel like the the things that I felt when I was reading the books and having that connection with Harry, Ron, and Hermione and being on the adventure with them uh, will help give me a sense of of being able to do that in a game for the first time that looks as good as it does and not just like a lego game so ethics aside uh jk rowling aside let's talk about the game the game's going to be launched in holiday 2022 that is their their targeted goal right now there's not a hard date for that which means there's a good chance that it will probably slip to 2023 so just anticipate that if you're looking forward to this this is going to be a single player action rpg it's going to be open world you can fly around on a broomstick for god's sakes you can fly around on a griffin there's going to be hogsmeade you can actually go visit the town you're going to be running around the halls of of uh hogwarts during a time before everything that happened with harry potter and his parents this is going to be pre-dumbledore this is going to be all the way back into the late 1800s uh, so the the hallways and the the uh, common rooms are all going to feel familiar to the the books and the movies. You're even going to see places that you won't have been able to see in the films, like the Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw common rooms, because they they just weren't any any popular people on on those. It was all Gryffindor and Slytherin. So this is something that I've always wanted. I've always wanted to explore this world. I've always loved this world. In fact, it's one of my things at night to put on like one of the Harry Potter movies as I'm falling asleep because both my wife and I have a common love for them. Like she didn't know about Harry Potter until we met. And it was because of the books that I had that it gave her uh, a, a dive into that world. We've become huge friends uh, uh, on Harry Potter. We've become huge, huge um, fans of it. And we have memories that we've built together uh, going to like Universal Studios uh, Hollywood for Harry Potter. You know, we went on opening weekend when it opened up for my wife's birthday. Um, so like, I, I've, I love this world. It means a lot to me. Um, so to get to see something that looks as good as it does, and this game does look good. It still looks a little rough. Like there's still a year's worth of development to go based on the footage that we saw. There's some choppiness to the video. There's some, some refinements that need to be made. We haven't really seen the UI too much. So there's definitely a lot more to this game that needs to be shown off to feel like it's going to be a really amazing game. But it seems like they get it. It seems like they understood the homework. And if you if you have seen anything online as far as like Sonic 2, the movie and the poster that they put out, just like with the teams that was that were doing uh, Sonic 2, they understood the assignment and it looks like they're doing the good job. So I'm looking forward to this. The open world looks amazing. Uh, there's going to be a season system. You're going to be working your way through different years. Your it, it's an interesting character. Your protagonist gets to be male or female. Uh, we haven't learned too much about like how far that stretches. If you get to choose to be non-binary or not, it'd be cool if it was. But this is also during a time where it's it's in the late 1800s, where concepts of like that, or or at least self-identification like that, wasn't really something that we've. 
seen record of. So I, I can excuse it for not necessarily pushing into that, even though it would be, it'd be a nice kind of nod to the community that, that has been ostracized as a result of JK's uh, verbiage. But because of the, the setting and, and where it takes place, I, I think that we're probably going to have to just live with it being male, female, and they may, they may be not necessarily use too many pronouns. They may use your name in that instance. It's hard to say, but you're going to be playing through a character's life and you're coming into Hogwarts in year five, which is kind of nuts. And there's a reason, there's a lore reason why you're doing that. So I'm very curious to understand what happens that causes you to move into Hogwarts in your fifth year. But some of the cool things that actually comes as a result of this is you actually get to to venture into the room of requirement, which is, is insane. Like the room of requirement is actually like your hub, which you'll help to kind of, you know, get caught up with defense against the dark arts or herbology or potions. And you can start like, you know, raising creatures that you find outside of the, the halls or outside of the walls of Hogwarts and bring them, you know, to the room of requirement and actually raise them and take care of them. And it's so crazy. They've got creatures from the Fantastic Beasts films, which so many people loved uh, the, the different creatures from there. Um, they've got centaurs in the Forbidden Forest. It's it's It feels like you really are going to be able to live in this world. And, it, and it's scary because when it looks this good this early into uh, showing off what the, the marketing is going to be for this game, you kind of worry that things are not going to be as broad or as as large in scope as, as you kind of hope it is you know you kind of have to take some things with a grain of salt but i i love that they have the ghosts i love that they have like peeves in the library uh you know you've got different houses and you're going to have different companions and each of the companions is actually going to represent a, a different house whether you get sorted into uh gryffindor or another house there's going to be three or four companions that will represent each of the different houses which i like also some of the other cool things that you're going to to be able to experience in this is, of course, combat. Combat with a Harry Potter game and using spells um, looks great in a movie. And it's hard to translate the fluid nature of the spells that are cast in a film when you've got a bunch of actors who have it all choreographed and they're all playing make-believe and all the graphics come in afterwards. So you don't have to worry about, you know, what spells look like. And, uh, uh, you know, at the time you just have to make the motions and stuff. And that's super easy. In a game when you're targeting other characters and you've, you've got NPCs that you have to deal with and stuff, it's, it's a lot tougher. Uh, but I think they're going to nail it because the way the combat looks, yes, I've seen a lot of spells that are repeated as far as like Leviosa or, or uh, um, Inferni and, and some of the different ones that they've like Accio and stuff. They've used a lot of the spells from the series uh, to kind of add to your arsenal. But they also modify these too. So you're going to be able to use plants that you raise uh, in herbology to be able to act as companions. Uh, you're going to be able to use some of the uh, potions that you learn how to brew to increase your power or give you like stone skin. Uh, charms is going to play a big role with your defensive spells and being able to uh, deflect ranged attacks and stuff. They've really tried to build out what the movies did and what the books did well, which was using each of the different side stories that was going on in the Harry Potter universe to help prepare Harry for the eventuality that was coming against uh, he who must not be named. 
So uh, when I look at this and I think, okay, well, they've got a premise, they've got a goblin army that is, is, you know, rising up and there's a potential for a war and you've got some dark arts wizards who are kind of helping them and facilitating them in, in the, the wizarding world. And you are brought into this in a weird time, but at a time where you're a fifth year, you should be fairly comfortable with what's going to be happening in the world. I'm I'm looking forward to this because it feels like, you know, if you if you were to jump in midway into the game of the Harry Potter franchise and like by year four, Goblet of Fire, uh, you're you're dropped in there and you're like, all right, you get to go play in the Triwizard Tournament and you got to go deal with Quidditch. You got to go deal with all the different um, uh, all the different challenges and stuff. You got to fight a dragon like all of that is being wrapped up, pulled from, and dropped into Hogwarts Legacy in an open-world game that I I really am hopeful for this game. I'm hopeful that it it does what I hope it will do, which is, is give us a world, a place where we can make our own story that transcends the what's going on the around the actual game the 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 conversation that's being had around the game and i like that there's a lot of people that are bringing up the obvious uh statements of of like you know this is something that if you don't feel comfortable supporting don't support it by all means if you feel somewhat comfortable supporting it buy it secondhand so that you're paying a retailer for something as opposed to uh, paying directly to the studio or if you don't feel like you want to give uh, jk any money at all and you don't want to support the devs who worked on this uh, then don't buy the game by all means vote with your wallet that's something i support 100 percent of the time if you've listened to the podcast at all you know, this is how I felt with uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus. I think the premise is good. I think the graphics are terrible. I'm not going to support the game because I don't think that the game deserves the money that they're asking for it based on what I've seen. I'm glad that a lot of people love that game. And likewise with Elden Ring, I don't like Souls games. I don't like the the way you're punished if you fail and you have to go back and then you have to go redo a whole bunch of stuff that you already made your way through. And it's not necessarily making it easier. It's still the same difficulty, uh, but you're just having to, to go through it again. And, and the defeat that I feel after I've uh, like lost all that progress really does make me put down the controller and not want to come back to it. So for, for that example as well, I also tend to stay away from Souls games because I don't like to be punished when I'm playing a video game. I like to enjoy an experience. And if the experience is, you know, on normal mode or hard mode or easy mode, but I'm able to feel like I'm I'm able to get through the game, the point of the game is to play the game. If I can't play the game, then I don't want to play the game and I'm not going to enjoy the game. This is why I have a hard time with scary games. I get scared. I, have, I get anxious, I can't move forward, and I can't finish the game, which is exactly what the artist intended for me. The de developers wanted me to finish a game. They never make a game and think, ah, you know, no one's going to get to the end. We can skip out on that. Some of them probably do, but most of them usually make a video game not expecting that they are going to not finish the game or do a bad job at the end of the game when they want people to get to it. So another reason why I think I, I, I have a whole bunch of... Uh, theories or, or feelings on on things like that as well too when it comes to other games but kind of sticking with uh, Hogwarts Legacy I think this game is going to be a lot of fun I think it's going to give players uh, or fans of the franchise uh, a place to call their own for a while um, in a time where we don't really have that luxury because the discourse around the wizarding franchise is 
so tainted uh, as a result of J.K. Rowling just genuinely like really not not being on the right side of history, in my opinion. Um, and again, that's my opinion. You can disagree. More than welcome to. I'm entitled to how I feel. It's my podcast. I'm going to share that feeling because I, I genuinely do feel like it's it's a wrong way to look at it. Um, so that's kind of that's also part of the reason why I want to make sure that if I'm going to support this thing, then I should at least do the 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 bare minimum, which is support the other the the trans community as well too, which I'm privileged enough to be able to do. Um, not everyone's in that in that situation, and I 100% re- respect people's uh, uh, inability to support if they can't or they don't feel like they need to. Um, that's on them. I and it doesn't impact me at all. So so I don't, I don't feel like it, it. It should be in my realm of caring. If if I'm kind of I'm wording this badly, but you guys kind of understand that. So again, holiday 2020. I'm I'm really genuinely excited for this. I love this franchise. I don't want this franchise to be tainted. Um, I'm annoyed that it is because I feel like it takes away from the good that it does as a whole compared to the one person who just happens to have a really shitty shitty personality at the end of the day. So as we get into canceling people, uh, let's dive into EA Live and why they're canceling themselves. So if you don't know, um, EA Live or EA Play Live event is not going to be happening this year. Um, this is something that they do every E3. They usually have like a bunch of games that they'll they'll uh, you know tot out and uh, or trot out, not tot out, trot out and kind of show off um, and and let people know what to be excited for. Now many of you probably can guess what some of those games are going to be it's probably going to be two football games and uh they're going to have yearly iterations on them we also know that ea is uh owner of respawn respawn as you may know uh from the the past episodes is producing uh well are they producing i guess they're they're developing uh, multiple new Star Wars games, including the technically unannounced uh, sequel to Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order, which I, I actually really, really loved. And the reason I got through it was because A, it was a Star Wars game. And two, they actually had difficulty uh, help or they had accessibility options in there that allowed me to um, get past some of the pain points of the combat that I didn't like. Uh, and And it was easy enough to to make it to the next step in the story where i wasn't i didn't felt i didn't feel like i was ever punished too much for when i did fail and i had to go back to a campsite so i i'm willing to open up a little bit about the fact that uh that plus another game that i'm playing right now um which has similar mechanics are opportunities for developers to surprise me when it comes to that souls like mentality where you are tied to a fire uh, that that determines where you spawn in whenever you die, regardless of where your progress is. You make some progress, but you don't always get to to. You still have to go kill all the mobs, things like that. But with EA Play uh, canceling themselves, we're not going to be hearing about the new Star Wars games, which makes sense. These were just barely announced. We probably won't see anything on these for at least another year or two. Is uh, honestly at least another two years before we start hearing anything major about some of the ones that just got announced. Jedi Fallen Order two, whatever that may be titled or whatever that may end up being, I think we are going to be hearing about that later this year and i think they will probably be targeting a mid 2023 time frame uh to be able to do that 
Um, we also won't be seeing more information about the remake for Dead Space, which is interesting because we actually heard from the Dev Space devs uh, this week. And I'll be diving in a little bit about that. Um, so overall, I'm not too, I'm, I'm kind of nonplussed as far as the EA live event and being canceled. Uh, EA is technically canceled for the most part. Um, but the games that they still make are, are pretty good. E3 is definitely canceled uh, out of all those things. And BlizzCon is definitely canceled. Like, I don't think we're ever getting another BlizzCon ever again. Uh, so with EA being gone, this really does kind of leave Xbox as kind of the, the headliner next to, I guess, would be Jeff Keighley's uh, Summer Games Fest. Those are kind of the two two events that are going to be going on in June that you can kind of trust are going to happen. And, and to be perfectly honest, I'm not even 100% sure that Xbox is going to have an event this year. I know they would probably like to. They've been pretty mum as far as uh, content goes outside of ID Xbox, which happened this week, which we will also be getting into. But genuinely overall, um, this is going to be kind of a weird year. I think 2022 will be an interesting landscape as far as how game companies really do try to promote their content and who gets exclusives for being able to showcase third-party content uh, case in point hogwarts legacy third-party game that's coming to the different consoles but sony got to do a state of play of it which showed well for sony because the game seems to be getting a lot of good hype for it which is good because the game looks like it deserves that hype so were there any games that you were looking forward to with EA Play that was coming up? Anything from Respawn as far as new content for Apex Legends? Uh, were you interested in hopefully hearing more about the Star Wars games that got announced uh, to be worked on? Or were you just looking to find out more about Dead Space because it holds a special place in your heart? So let's get into the next segment. Is the initiative just an initiative or is it actually a game studio? I'm not 100% sure, but if I had to guess, I'd say that Xbox's quadruple A studio, the initiative is really just a, a fancy way of kickstarting up projects. Uh, for those of you who aren't kept up with uh, or haven't been keeping up with the news, uh, the initiative announced recently that they are going to be publishing uh, or at least developing in part with uh, Crystal Dynamics, um, who came on last September to help out with the co-development for Perfect Dark. Um, Perfect Dark has had two games in its franchise that I'm aware of. The first one being obviously the uh, the unofficial sequel to GoldenEye, which happened back on the N64, uh, back when Rare was in charge of it and developing it for Nintendo. Uh, they retained the rights to that franchise. And when they were scooped up by Microsoft, Microsoft had them build uh, a Perfect Dark, Perfect Dark Zero. It was not as good of uh, reception as Perfect Dark was. I think there was something a little bit lost in translation for what people were hoping for. Um, I have not played the the sequel, so I can't speak to it as a, as a personal experience. Um, but the first one was always something that was a lot of fun. Um, I don't remember much of it, and I and I really do need to go back to Rare Replay on Game Pass and, and dive into those games to kind of see what's going on with them. But as a wholly owned first-person first shooter from Rare, 
um, the initiative was an interesting pick to be able to start working on this. Obviously with Rare, not many of the devs that were working on GoldenEye and Perfect Dark are still there. I think many of them have moved on to different game studios. So when Crystal Dynamics, who uh, developed the Tomb Raider franchise, the trilogy, the latest one, uh, came on, I was kind of excited to see like what could what could happen as a result of them helping out with the Perfect Dark. I think they have familiarity with uh, a female lead, with having a good protagonist to be able to develop for, and I was looking forward to seeing what Dynamics could do. Unfortunately, it doesn't look as though the initiative is uh, starting off to a really, really good fanfare. Um, Reading from the VGC article that came out on, uh, was it the 17th? Yeah, 17th. Um, in a report that from earlier this week, uh, that nearly half of the core team at the initiative uh, working on Perfect Dark has actually left the company, uh, around 34 employees. Um, this was written up by William D'Angelo. Uh, departures include design director Drew Murray, game director Dan Noonan, uh, Newberger, and lead level designer Chris O'Neill, principal world builder uh, Julian Meyer, I think is how you say it, and then two senior system designers uh, as well as additional staff. Uh, Windows Central's uh, Jez Gordon, who's known for uh, a lot of leaks uh, as well as interesting conversations um, over on uh, Xbox Two podcast, I think is what it is. said on the Checkpoint podcast uh, that claims the reason for so many people uh, leaving uh, developers due to a disagreement over studio structure. Quote, it sounds like what has ultimately happened at the initiative is a big disagreement over how to proceed and the staff and structure for Perfect Dark, says uh, Corden. Um, The interesting thing here, I think, is what we don't know about the initiative compared to what's happening. I think initially the initiative was kind of spun up to keep things uh, as a small group and keep things agile, let them kind of like move from project to project and really just kind of start up interesting experiences. Um, they wanted to be able to to uh, have really fast agile development. They wanted to be able to to play around with different ideas and and keep things kind of uh, close to the chest. Um, as a result of this, I, I think that bringing on Crystal Dynamics has kind of bumped up the expectation of what this game was intended to be, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Good thing for fans of the franchise who are looking for a return to form. Uh, bad thing for the, the employees who were promised one thing and are now being told something else uh, for their actual studio. So is this a bad thing? Yeah, this is kind of a red flag. You should probably probably be a little concerned about what's going on with Perfect Dark's development. Uh, it's not unprecedented for a game studio to have troubles like these and um, and not make it through, according to sources that I've I've heard from other podcasts and things like that. Nothing I can quote, but I think Doom was a similar experience, and I think that might have been Ryan McC- Ryan McCaffrey uh, over on Unlocked who had talked about that on their episode. But overall. I think that until we see what's going on with actually uh, with actual gameplay without actually seeing what will happen with Perfect Dark, it's too early to really tell, like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Because what may have been a really bad game may now be a good game because the people that were in charge of it are now gone. So it's really hard to tell. 
until we actually see what the game's going to be. So I'm putting this under wait and see and uh, not really caring about what happens until we actually start to see something significant from them. But I figured with this being some of the news that pertains to Xbox, fans of the franchise might be aware or might be uh, interested to know that there has been a lot of trouble with the initiative and they've they've lost quite a few employees over some of the issues that are going on there. Something else to kind of touch on that revolves around the Perfect Dark franchise is actually GoldenEye 007. Um, the N64 game uh, that sold 8 million units in its lifetime had its trademark renewed. Uh, this is something that genuinely happens as a result of, of them uh, worrying about not losing the rights to the trademark. So they usually want to make sure that you keep those renewed uh, just so that you can retain the, the rights to be able to publish or develop on that, that actual name. Uh, but GoldenEye has always been kind of mired with a lot of legality issues. Um, there was a, a full make or full remake that was made for the Xbox One Arcade that we talked about a couple episodes back that was uh, leaked as having uh, people having played it from Rare, um, thanks to True Achievements, which was kind of a bummer, uh, at least a few of them for sure. But it looks like with the trademark renewal, uh on the on the anniversary year of this which i believe is the oh, what did i say before i think it's 65 year anniversary of of the bond franchise don't quote me on that and go back to the previous episode wherever i talked about that uh and actually had that that information uh locked down it's it's interesting to know that with the trademark being renewed there's a good chance that we are going to be getting the remake of GoldenEye 007 added to the Xbox store. Um, I, I don't know if this is something that for legal reasons has to be released on Nintendo platforms as well. I would, I would imagine that would be the case considering Nintendo and Microsoft would both have to agree to uh, re-release the, the game if, if that was the case. So what I would see in this instance is something that I touched on uh, the first time we talked about this was is that it would be something that comes to uh, X, uh, Xbox um, uh, Game Pass for a limited amount of time. It would be available for sale, which if you can if you can buy it, buy it because it's one of those games that you, you may not ever get to buy again. And it would probably come to Nintendo's expansion pack. Uh, they have been releasing more games for the Xbox or for the, the N64 library as well as the Sega library. Uh, and with that, I think that this is going to be uh, one of those situations where they want to celebrate um, not only Nintendo's history with the franchises being the home for GoldenEye forever, basically, uh, but also kind of add that value to the Nintendo expansion pack. It would make a lot of sense. A lot of people would sign up for expansion pack if they knew they could get GoldenEye and be able to play it. Now, it remains to be seen whether or not the net code would hold up and the emulation would be good and you'd get a good experience about that. But I can say that if it has to come to Nintendo, then it would definitely be on Xbox as well, where I feel a lot better about the actual online multiplayer, if that was something that was made available through Xbox Live. Uh, and a good chance it would probably be made available on Game Pass for those, so you could probably jump on for pretty cheap to be able to play it. I hope this is a thing. I want it to be a thing. I want to will this into existence. Uh, it's just a matter of time, I think, at this point. I think this being the anniversary of the Bond franchise, 
even kind of just lends more credence to the idea that they want to celebrate this. They need a win. Bond uh, had a good movie back. I think it was 2021. Was 2021 when the Bond movie came out? I never, de- I never even got to go see that movie. Thank you, COVID. You suck. I hate you, bastard. Die. But I'm looking forward to this. And I think uh, if it happens, it'll be really cool. Um, something else that was really cool that I had no no care about this time though is Elden Ring. Uh, Elden Ring has sold 12 million copies. It's that's insane. It's it's crazy to think that it sold that many copies. I think that's probably more copies than The Last of Us 2. Actually, you know what? Let me take a look. I wonder if I can look this up real quick. The Last of Us 2 sales numbers. Uh, yeah, it <laughs> killed killed Last of Us 2. Uh, let's see. According to... No, I don't want to use that one. Where's where's a credible? Where's a credible source? Wikipedia. Does that count? Does does Wikipedia count? GameSpot. We'll go with GameSpot. Here we go. Who's their source? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Sony announced. Okay, so apparently Sony announced back on June 26th of 2020, which if you remember was around the time that it sold, uh, that the PS4 exclusive sold more than 4 million copies in the first three days, surpassing the original game sales during the same period. Um, For example, God of War sold 3.1 million copies in the first three days, while Spider-Man nearly beat it out for 3.3 million. Uh, Let's see, additionally, Last of Us... No, that doesn't doesn't help me at all. It doesn't look like there's really a good number um, for current sales. Let me see if there's a a good total sales. Nope, nothing so far. It's hard to know, but I would imagine based on the fact that the game sold 4 million copies or more than 4 million copies in the first three days, those are going to be the high point and it's going to go down from there. So I would venture to guess that lifetime sales over the course of the last couple of years would probably bump that up to maybe eight at that point. Whereas we're talking about Elden Ring here, which is the latest Souls game from From Software that has managed to sell 12 million copies worldwide since February 25th, which is just insane, man. That is just insane. Bandai Namco and FromSoft have made a game that so many people are enjoying which is still a small fraction of the actual game population but this game is is something that no one is just going to uh let go um and i don't blame them because everything that i've seen from people playing it say that this is an amazingly well-crafted game that it does exactly what it needs to do which is create a compelling gameplay loop that drags people in has the content there's no microtransactions there's no no major issues with it i think the major issues right now with the game are just its uh, stability and i think that's something that can get patched over time so i'm not even really concerned with that but uh this game is insane as far as sales go and congrats to the teams over there for making this game um it's a 10 out of 10 just from ign so i know it's a really highly rated game but that doesn't even take into account some of the games that actually got uh, released this week and one of them being something that actually came from the xbox uh id at xbox event so let's get into that you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship sir finishing this fight all right so as uh i finish taking a drink of water and pulling up the website for this thank you to xbox wire 
where you can find all of Xbox news if you really want, they went ahead and broke down all of the games that came out as a result of the Idea Xbox showcase over on Twitch Gaming. This was a three hour, two hour long. I think it was a two hour long. I think the video that I watched was just three hours, but there was like an hour long lead into uh, wait time for that. But um, let's talk about this. This idea Xbox, I think compared to last year, which if you watched last year was really rough, uh, far too long, far too unfocused, uh, not nearly as good at interviews and kind of left in shambles, which did not do well to help try and promote the games that are on here. And if you're not familiar, ID Xbox stands for independent developer or indies uh, for the Xbox showcase, which is a, a good way to kind of do something that was on par with what Nintendo had, which was, uh, I believe, Indie World. Now, I think it used to be called the Nindies, which is a weird portmanteau for Nintendo Indies. Uh, but I like ID Xbox because it helps kind of showcase what indie developers are doing uh that's going to be coming to the the consoles and the pc and stuff so let's go down the list uh thanks to xbox wire for writing up this uh, post to help kind of summarize what's going to be coming on with a little bit of a blurb so i'm going to be reading some of their words on this to kind of give you an idea and then some feelings on how i felt about the actual showcase as a whole uh starting off with the the list of games Immortality is an interactive movie trilogy. Uh, this is something that's coming to console. This is going to be out on summer of 2022. No solid date on that. Immortality, according to them, is an interactive film trilogy from Sam Barlow, creator, creator of Her Story. Uh, what happened to uh, Marissa Marcel? Explore footage from her lost movies to solve the mystery. Um, this is one where it feels like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of style game where it is all kind of live action photography you are a video editor and you are sifting through a lost footage of her films to try and trace down where she disappeared to or what happened to her um, it looks like it'll be a very interesting kind of mind-bending game where you're going to really have to think about what's going on you're going to have to work out some puzzles uh, if you liked games like um Oh, uh, Monkey Island, I think would be a good one. Uh, the, if you like things like that, then there's a good chance you'll probably find some love with this. If you like point and click adventure games, then you might get a kick out of this. Uh, it does look good. And I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what Sam's kind of come up with us for this, this time. The next one that I, I am actually, I think you guys really should keep an eye on this. This one is called Flintlock the siege of dawn uh and just to kind of um, let, let me read what they put here and then i'll kind of put my two cents on that uh gods and guns collide in flintlock a new open world action rpg from the makers of ashen join nor and her mysterious companion enki on an epic journey of vengeance gunpowder and magic in humanity's last stand your battle begins 2022 on the xbox series x and xbox one and available day one with game pass um to describe this imagine if this was lord of the rings and aragorn was uh, a woman who carried an axe and a flintlock pistol and instead of gimli uh you know he or she had a mystical magical fox that was part fox part elk part uh bird and it had magic powers like sucking the energy out of 
magical creatures. So this is this is a, one that I think a lot of people should kind of look into. I think one of the devs had actually mentioned that imagine a world where it is exactly like Lord of the Rings. You know, there's humans, there's different uh, races, but there's also magic involved. But magic is a very kind of elusive, weird, ephemeral kind of thing, kind of like, you know, wizards are a thing, but nobody really understands how wizards work, but also elves are a thing and also elves live forever. So imagine a Lord of the Rings-esque world that has just evolved beyond swords and bows. And they, they now have guns and they now have cannons. What kind of a world would that be where if a wizard could shoot you with like an ice bolt, sure that you could, you know, they could be readying up like a fireball, but then you pull out a, a pistol or a, a, you know, a rifle and you shoot them. What would the world be like in that kind of a, in that kind of a, an evolutionary stage? And that's kind of what Flintlock is. And I'm kind of here for it because it has kind of that cool uh, Lord of the Rings vibe, but it's got a, a beautiful, strong female protagonist with an adorable, deadly creature, and it's got guns and axes. And I don't think as a fan of, of fantasy, I could really ask for more. So I, I don't know where the story is going to go. It says that it being an open world action RPG feels very up my alley as far as liking games like you know legend of zelda and uh ghost of tsushima god of war things like that well god of war is not open world i, I take that back but I'm, I'm trying to reach for other games that are open world as well too that are are kind of an action rpg where you're going to be building in traits and uh, stats things like that as you kind of move along and unlock progress and things like that to do side quests and whatnot so I'm looking forward to seeing how this uh, goes. I think the aesthetic is gritty. I think the aesthetic is is right up my alley. It feels like Lord of the Rings meets heavy metal, and I'm kind of here for that. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see. And it's available day one Game Pass, so how can you really be upset about that? Um, the next game that's on this list uh, as we move on into the rest of this ID at Xbox is Cursed to Golf, which is a side scroller. Um, I like this. It looks adorable. It looks kind of like the standard, you know, swing timer uh, for golf game, but with a really, really weird kind of premise. Uh, Cursed to Golf is a golf-like adventure where every shot counts. With insane hazards over otherworldly power-ups and tons of replayability, will you make it out of golf purgatory or will you be forever cursed to golf? So if you like 2D side-scrollers and you're a fan of golf, uh, I see no reason why you guys can't jump on this and check it out. The caveat here is that this is uh, listed as a PC game and there's no actual date released right now. So um, we'll probably have to find out more later on. But if you're a fan of uh, any kind of thing that's like morbid, but you like um, games that kind of remind me of SteamWorld Dig 2, but instead of using uh, like a pickaxe to dive down into a world, uh, you are hitting a golf ball to uh, enact with different environmental obstacles to help get you further it's kind of like the weirdest version of metroid meets uh mini golf uh if i had to try and tie any more weird words to this but kudos to them for coming up with something that looks really fun uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays uh there's a couple more games that i didn't really follow a whole lot that seemed 
Okay, they didn't really keep my attention, but for the sake of letting you know, let, let's dive into them. Uh, coming to console in 2022, Escape Academy from IM8Bit, which I, I recognize and definitely uh, support, as well as Skybound Games, which had a lot of games come out um, uh, for this ID at Xbox. I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, so Escape Arcade is, uh, you've arrived at the Escape Arcade, a school where promising students train to become the ultimate escape room master. Play over dozens, uh, play over a dozen masterfully handcrafted rooms designed by experienced experts in the field of real life escape rooms. Expertise, no, experience. Experience the entirety of Escape Academy alone in single player or through two player cooperative play. Uh, available in local and online split screen, which is interesting. Kind of like, um, what was the one? It takes two. Uh, explore the campus of Escape Academy and get to know the faculty, a colorful cast of characters, each an expert in the art of escape, and some with secrets yet to be uncovered. Features music and sound designed by the one and only uh, Dose One? Deuce One? I have no clue who they are. Gangs Beat, Sludge Life, Disc Room, Enter the Gungeon. All, I recognize Enter the Gungeon, that's it. <laughs> Don't know who this person is, but I'm sure if I was a bigger fan of indie games and not the uh, the AAA franchises that I am, I would probably get uh, a little more out of whatever that that person is as far as their music goes. But this is something that's going to be made available on Game Pass, so no worries there. If you want to try it out, it's available to you. The next one that I wanted to jump into, Whale Fall. Uh, this is coming to console. It's to be announced. Looks beautiful. It is uh, the combination of an SRPG and a JRPG, which I have no clue what the heck an SRPG is. Uh, but I know what a JRPG is, and I'm usually not a fan of them. Uh, this is set in a high fantasy world inspired by The Lord of the Rings, the Suikoden series, and the Final Fantasy games, which I could totally see. The, the aesthetic definitely pulls from many of those things. Uh, and the aesthetic is beautiful. Looks absolutely beautiful for a game. The continent of Osfeld is a unique one, harshly divided among territorial lines and shadowed by enormous sky whales, the economic and political powers shift every hundred years as one of these beasts ages and dies, plummeting to the ground below. The economic, technological, and military boons from the whale's bodies are considered considerable, and so is the conflict over their remains. Players will command the armies of Riverwatch to bring an end to a sinister plot to shoot down the legendary creatures and throw the world into chaos. So that's kind of interesting. This seems like, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, if we had a whole bunch of uh, alien spaceships uh, above the different continents of the U.S. and, you know, every hundred years, one of them, you know, ended up losing power and crashing into the continent. Sure, there'd be a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of issues there. But, you know, that would <laughs> the technology that would come as a result of the government taking that and, and uh, utilizing it would probably make quite a big superpower. Uh, it'd be, be quite a difference between, you know, what that group did versus what other countries were able to gleam off of uh, what they could from that alien technology. So I could definitely see how there would be power struggles and groups looking to take down some of these alien ships to try and get some of that power ahead of, uh, you know, like the anticipated time frame for when that would happen. So much like with whales falling from skies, kind of a similar uh, prospect, you know, uh, I don't I don't really know or why the whales are flying, but they, they can and will and uh, until they don't. Um, so. 
if you're a fan of JRPGs, you'll probably get a, a kick out of this. SRPG, I'm really, I feel like maybe I need to look that up. I think it's intended to be like a strategy uh, style game. So let me, let me see what is this. What is an SRPG? SRPG uh, stands for, uh, let's see. Oh, so, okay. So it's like a, a strategy based game. Yeah. Um, kind of like uh, Tactics Ogre or um, I'm just blanking on uh, I'm blanking on all of them now. Uh, <laughs> but essentially, it is a, a tactics-style game or a stra- strategy role-playing game. So a little bit of a mix of the two genres where you'll have uh, uh, squares determining how close and far you are from the enemies, whether or not you'll be able to move in close to get in uh, different attacks. You'll have ranged melee that require you to have movement on the actual grid to be able to land those blows. Uh, But you're also going to be playing around with the idea of having stats and spells and things like that with your characters as you you move throughout the, the actual gameplay. So seems interesting. The next game that came out of nowhere and looks amazing is called Wrestle Quest. Uh, this is another Skybounds game, but it's developed by Mega Cat Studios. This is coming to consoles, but there's no exact date right now. Uh, tag Team with Destiny, pro wrestling and RPG fantasy collide in the ultimate pixel-powered adventure. Macho Man Randy Savage, Andre the Giant, and tons of other icons guide your way to glory beyond the ring. This hero's journey ain't just an epic quest, it's Wrestle Quest. Uh, there's even more exciting news with all of the Game Pass announces uh, announcements. So, uh, no, this is this is a rather thing. Anyway, um, if you guys haven't seen this or, or watched a video on it, you really ought to. Wrestle Quest is a pixel top-down uh, game that is going to be straight up just one of those old style RPGs. Uh, but it looks like it has the love of fans from the '90s. Uh, who are fans of wrestling coming out to to really just it just it's, it looks adorable it looks amazing i'm probably going to be playing this even though i'm not a huge a huge fan of rpgs um the sheer amount of icons that they have from the 90s 80s and 90s wrestling era is something that i am i am 100 here for <laughs> so i will play it just based off nostalgia alone uh, I'm going to skip over a couple of these just because I I think that you guys may not be interested in them. Um, Crusader Kings 3 from Paradox Interactive is coming to console March 29th. That's right around the corner. I'm looking to see what the uh, the actual reviews for are like this. Um, it was a really interesting showcase because it had T-Pain uh, talking about rewriting history uh, which was just uh, T-Pain's hilarious. So it, it was it was worth watching just for the sake of that. But that's coming to Game Pass as well on March 29th. Um, the other thing that I think you should keep an eye out for, or the, the, the other two things that I think you should keep an eye on for before I dive into the last game that I want to touch on, uh, one of them is the uh, Trek to Yomi, uh, or Yomai. Uh, I, I still don't know how to pronounce that, but uh, that is the, the black and white... Um, uh, feudal Japan era game that I talked about from the state of play uh, a couple weeks back, I think, with uh, PlayStation. Um, the little blurb here, while I'll read this, hopefully gives you better an idea. And this is coming to console spring of 2022. As a vow to his dying master, the young swordsman Hiroki is sworn to protect his town and the people he loves against all threats. Faced with tragedy and bound to duty, the lone samurai must voyage beyond life and death to confront himself and decide his path forward. This looks really cool. It just looks amazing. So if you're a fan of uh, 2D style games, um, 
and you're a fan of feudal Japan era style uh, aesthetics, you will probably get a kick out of this game because it, it looks like something that kind of reminds me of uh, like a double dragon, but with good graphics in a really stylized uh, gameplay loop. The other thing that I wanted to touch on um, was uh, the fellow traveler. Uh, Game Pass uh, montage highlights four of their exciting games coming to Xbox and uh, PC Game Pass Day 1. Paradise Killer, which is available now. This was available on PC before. Now it's available on console. I know very little about the game, but it's mature rated. Um, Kraken Academy, which I, I know very little about. Um, Beacon Pines, which is a an, an adorable game that looks like it, it's it's right out of like any any fan of any kind of anthropomorphic um, animal shows. Like uh, like uh, what was that? Uh, the Knights Night? Oh, I can't remember the name of it. Into the no Into the Woods? No Night in the Woods? I think it's Night in the Woods. If you're a fan of Night in the Woods, I think you're gonna kick get a, get a kick out of uh, Beacon Pines and then Citizen Sleeper, which I I I will hold off on saying anything about. I want to get into the last game though. Uh, Tunic Tunic is now available. If you don't know what Tunic is, it is a uh, Zelda a Link to the Past like legit Link to the Past uh, game. Um, there's a little fox. He has a little green tunic. He carries a sword and a shield and a lantern. Uh, you get little bombs. You you run around in a world. That is all in overworld. Uh, there's varying types of enemies. It's stylized. It's got cute music that kind of wears on my nerves after a while. Um, and you just kind of explore. The map or the manual for this game is the, the menu uh, for the game. And each page that you find in the world uh, shows you a legit like 1980s style map that has like cute character art and little scribbles on it the, that the player actually wrote down uh, and it kind of describes stuff like that's on a need to know basis because half of the game is in a weird uh, runic language that doesn't seem to really kind of make sense at all uh, while the rest of it's in English so it explains stuff like as you get along you'll find a new page and that page will tell you about uh, the different weapons and what they do and what they are. And then another one will tell you more about the creatures that you've come into. It, it's like a straight up manual, you know, like the old ones where the manuals were actually the way to get through the game, not just here's how to install it kind of thing. And I, and I appreciate the hell out of that. And when you pause the game to get to the manual, it actually kind of pulls away from the actual game. And in the background, you can't tell, but in the background, it shows the pause screen for where you're at in the world, but it shows it as like a, an old retro CRT. So it's literally like you're in the head of the kid in the 1980s playing this game and in your mind, um, you ever, you ever see an old game and think, oh man, that looked, it, it looked better in my mind. And when you go back and you actually take a look at it and you look at the graphics and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> those graphics were, were really bad. Uh, my mind has filled in the blanks. Um, that's kind of what's going on with Tunic. Tunic looks amazing. But when you pause it and you realize that you're looking at a manual from like the 1980s that's relevant to the game now. And in the background, you can kind of make out the CRT TV that you're playing on. It's kind of interesting because you're controlling the the protagonist, the little fox here. Uh, but the game looks good until you actually pause it. But um, if you jump into this, this was uh, shadow dropped on the day of ID Xbox. Um, it's one that we've been waiting for for a while. 
I've played a couple hours of it. Uh, I have a hard time with this because it is unforgiving when it comes to playing through it. Uh, the enemies are difficult. You, you don't always have a clear indication of how to actually beat them. And those are the things that remind me very much of what I enjoyed about Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Um, when I played Link to the Past, it was the first game that I got for the SNES. Uh, it was on a birthday and it was the only game that I had. I played about 30 minutes of it at the time when I was too young to probably be playing it um, because my mind wasn't developed enough to be able to understand what I had to do. I couldn't problem solve because I didn't have the language in my mind to be able to understand what the game was asking me to do. And I didn't have the patience to be able to sit there and try and, uh, you know, break my push my way through that uh, and it wasn't until at least a couple or two or three years later that i ended up going back to it after i had already had games like mario uh donkey kong um star fox things like that where i was a lot more comfortable with those gameplay loops because i understood what was being asked of me so when i went back to legend of zelda uh, a link to the past and i and i finally whatever it was it finally clicked either i read something or i paid attention to something i finally was able to get past the first stage of just getting your damn sword once i got the sword i the whole world opened up to me and I was so much more comfortable with what was going on. And I was so much more willing to tackle anything because I felt like I was uh, prepared for what, what I was going to have to do. And I went through the trial of error uh, of dying a bunch of times and having to go back to where I saved and all that rigor mole. Tunic is very much like that. Tunic is something that gives you little campfires. You, you spawn at a campfire. And when you, resp or when you use one of the campfires to refill your health... Uh, and you get potions. The potions are kind of like hearts, but you have to actually chug the potion to get the health back. Um, you take damage and you can you can uh, kind of augment yourself later in the in the game to be able to, to get through it. So the thing that I think this game does well is it captures the pure essence of what Legend of Zelda Breath of, or what Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past had when I first played it. The problem that I have with this game is that it is unforgiving for the gameplay style in a time where we have games like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is a very much game that is styled after Dark Souls, where you are going to respawn at a point, all the mobs are going to be uh, respawned, and you're going to have to play through it better to be able to get through there. The caveat is, is that it has accessibility options to either ease some of the parry times on that or just the difficulty in general you can actually lower. Tunic does not have something like that, and it, and it sorely needs one to be more accessible, in my opinion. Uh, not everyone's going to agree uh, with me on that point, and that's fine. You don't have to. But uh, for me, I feel like the game is a little too punishing from the get-go. And I think that the game needs to um, have some of the things that I think were inherently built into the design of Legend of Zelda Breath, or Legends, I always want to say Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. In A Link to the Past, if you ran into a tough spot or you had trouble with something, you could always leave and you could go cut down a bunch of pots or a bunch of grass and little fairies and hearts would drop and you would have ways to replenish your health. And then you would go back and you would try and tackle those things again. Tunic doesn't really have that. If you cut down grass or you cut down bushes or things like that, there's no real good way for you to actually re replenish your health outside of potions. You might find the occasional item that is like an instant restore that you can use. But for the most part, you're going to be stuck 
with the health that you have and the pots that you find. Once you uh, get to a certain point, um, things kind of ease up after a while and it gets a little bit easier as you kind of move forward and progress. But the hill to get past that can be pretty steep. And there were definitely times where I quit playing because it was too annoying for me to live with a dodge roll mechanic that I'm not a suited to. And if you've been a fan of, of Dark Soul games, then that may not be a, a, an issue for you. You may be able to navigate that really well. Uh, but I had trouble with it. And I, I butted heads up against that gameplay des design for a while. And that tends to push me away. But because this is a game that really pulls from A Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, I felt like I owed it to myself to try and push through some of the different things. And I'm glad that I was able to watch other people play through it because it helped with kind of that lack of uh, kind of a playground conversation that tends to happen with uh, games when you're young and you're trying to work out what's going on. I didn't have anything like that for Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, and it took like three years for me to get over the hill uh, that I needed to to be able to actually enjoy that game um, the way it was intended with tunic thankfully there's online help and there's friends and stuff that are playing it and because it's on game pass and because it shadow dropped everyone's able to drop in and actually get to play it this game is probably one of the best games um, that has come out this year according to a lot of the reviews it's in the running for one of the best games um, reviewed the the for for the entire 2022 i imagine it'll probably be in the running for game as a game of the year discussions which is insane when you think about the fact that Horizon Forbidden West, Elden Ring, uh, God of War, potentially Breath of the Wild 2, Starfield, hey, or no, Halo Infinite might not count because that was something that kind of came at the cusp. But uh, so many good games have come out just in the last four months, not including all of the amazing games that are promised to come out the rest of this year. The fact that this tiny little game made by one or two people, uh, I think it's one, but I think they that they had help, uh, can really kind of um, hold its weight as a well-designed game and has like I, ta I talked about this earlier too. Tunic understood the assignment. Tunic was trying to make a game that was challenging, but harkened back to a Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. It understood the assignment and, and I think it killed it. I think it's missing in a couple areas as far as accessibility and, and difficulty. Um, there's either, there is accessibility modes on this. I will say that. Uh, you can have a mode that basically takes no damage, which I think is a bridge too far. I think it's good for kids. I think it's a bridge too far. I think there needed to be a button that says half damage. But after playing it for a little while and getting a little bit further, I can see maybe why they didn't need to do that. Um, but if you're playing through this and you're having a tough go at it, head over to the options, go into the accessibility features, turn on the mode that, that lets you not take damage or not lose stamina and just get past the point where you're having problems. And once you get past that and you feel like you want to take on the challenge again, go ahead and turn on, uh, turn off those accessibility features and see if you feel more comfortable having gotten a little more progression under your belt. Um, it, if, if that helps, hopefully it will. Uh, but it, this is definitely a game that I think everyone should give a chance, uh, especially if you're a fan of Zelda games. As we round out this episode of the Xbox wrap up, I struggle to feel like I've really kind of broken up a lot of the discussions. And when I come down to it, I feel like that's because everything that we talked about 
really does kind of all lump in under Xbox. Um, I can't really think of anything that I talked about that really feels like it was uh, predominantly a Xbox or a, a uh, Nintendo or Sony type thing. A lot of stuff happened as a result of those companies, but nothing really ever jumped out and said like, hey, this is exclusive to Sony. Everything feels like it is all Xbox. So if I don't chop this up well enough uh, as we get into uh, the ending here before I talk about Starfield, um, I'm, I'm sorry for that because I, I genuinely am having a tough time kind of focusing in on one section and thinking, yeah, no, that's a Sony thing. It's like, mm, I think it's all Xbox this week. I just think it came from different outlets. So feel free to correct me if I'm wrong too. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not thinking about something right now. <clears throat> but as we get into the last story here, uh, we got a new video from Bethesda and Todd Howard and the team working on Starfield. Uh, this one is called Into the Starfield uh, Made for Wanderers video. And in the uh, the video that I'm, I'm watching right now uh, it has Todd Howard and a few of the different uh, members over from Bethesda talking about RPGs as a whole what they make and why what they try to strive for when they're making these games and I gotta say like without knowing a whole lot about Starfield knowing that it was like a you know it was going to be a Bethesda game that was set in a space fantasy uh, world where you're going to be kind of out on your own making these choices about what you want to do uh, and just living in this world, nothing about it really sold me. Um, not in the same way that I was sold with like Halo Infinite, where I knew what I was getting. I was getting a story. It was going to have a narrative. It was going to have Master Chief and, uh, you know, dealing with the, the fallout from Cortana. And we were going to get this pilot and they were going to be crashing on the Halo. And we had to figure out what the heck we were going to do. Um, kind of par for the course with Starfield. Uh, this falls into discussions that have happened before and have caused me to be excited about things uh, without the promise of what actually was intended. Um, when I look at this video and I hear them talking about Starfield, I get the same excitement that I got when I started reaching uh, or reaching the information that was being put out for Cyberpunk 2077. Um, for those of you that don't know, Cyberpunk 2077 is one of those games that I spent 300 hours in uh, back when it was busted. Uh, subsequently, they've they've come out with the next gen version and I've played so much of it that I haven't really felt like I needed to go back because I've experienced everything that I wanted to experience. And until they bring in something that is new, I don't feel the need to go back to that world, um, which is a shame because I think that the world now is in a better state than it was back when I played it. But I've also spent <laughs> 300 hours in that world. So when I look at Starfield and they talk about wanting to have a world where you create whatever character you want to create, that, that really speaks to me. It, it says, hey, this is what you wanted to do with Cyberpunk. You wanted to create your own character. You wanted to have your own life path. You wanted to be a street kid or a corpo or a, a, what is it, a nomad. And you could you could play through that game however you wanted. Now, Starfield isn't saying that you necessarily have to start off as one of those things, but they are kind of saying that in a way. 
And the thing that came from the video this week was interesting because not only did they speak to the high-res textures on the new engine and the tools that they're putting in uh, for players to be able to create their own character, but also having a very personal interaction, not only with the, the NPCs that you meet, but also with the companions that you're going to have as well too. And those companions, they actually announced the first one uh, is going to be a robot, um, Vasco. And it feels like it is kind of like a droid from a Star Wars. Uh, but looks like something from the, the Alien franchise. So very blocky. The interesting thing about this is they talk about some of the different factions in the world and how you can interact with them, which is cool because I've, I've played through Outer Worlds uh, twice and the two times that I played through those, I went very different uh, life paths as far as like the choices that I made with those NPCs uh, that really kind of changed the narrative for how I played it. Starfield is looking like they're going to be giving you the same kind of thing. Uh, there's going to be factions, reputations that you will interact with, and you can choose to work with them or against them, not in kind of a cut and dry method, but is as a way to kind of like, how do you decide on a, a case by case basis, how you interact with this? Uh, so they talked about four different factions uh, lightly. And the first faction is actually the United Colonists, uh, which I like because it kind of harkens to what I would call the Star Wars Rebels. Uh, they're the idealized versions of what society would be in a, a space republic style, um, which is, is very much to say like they are planning on on, uh, you know, having everyone under the Federation or a Federation or or uh, one one group that kind of governs everyone and, and takes care of everyone all the same. And they venture out and do different missions and stuff and very, very Star Wars Rebels-esque. Then you have the Free Star Collective, which the Free Star Collective is kind of like the Wild Wild West of space. It is very much like the Tatooine. Uh, you're going to be in marketplaces with a lot of shady characters in very shady towns, and you're going to be playing out this uh, space Western fantasy where you're going to be having to decide, you know, what kind of scum and villainy are you going to be in this in this faction in this in this environment? And I really do love that because it seems like. They're kind of out there on the frontier, uh, as they say, kind of living the, the the rough life, you know, the the manifest destiny of, of the stars, if you will. And then you move into the third group that they talked about, which was actually the Ryujin Industries, uh, which represents the corporate life, which really kind of harkened into the cyberpunk feel for me with the corpos there. Everything is high life. Everything is, is high style. You, you expect to have a lot of... Um, really really fantastical technology and stuff everything's going to be like these big megacorps uh that are going to have multi-tiered uh worlds in these in these giant cities that are going to have uh all this neon advertising and stuff around it and you're going to have to apply to get into this this position for ryuji uh or ryujin uh, industries and you have to try and you know make your life out as this this corporate entity now in this city uh, and what you're going to do with that and what's going to pull you away from that or or pull you closer or deeper into it it's hard to know um, so I, I love that they're coming out with these these kind of different factions in the game uh, to, to kind of give you a way to live out that space fantasy if that's something that you've been wanting to do depending on you know if you're a fan of say like 
Star Wars. If you're a fan of Star Wars, then you're probably going to want to go with the United Colonists um, to, to do that. If you're a fan of like Firefly, uh, then you're probably going to want to go um, more or like Mandalorian. You're probably going to want to go with uh, the Free Star Collective. If you're more of the cyberpunk fan, then you're probably going to want to go with the Ryujin Industries. Or if you're like a space pirate, maybe none of those actually uh, really speak to you and you want to be more on the bad side, then you've got these space pirates that you can actually side with who are called the uh, Crimson Fleet and you can actually fly with them. The interesting thing about this is that this isn't all cut and dry. It's not you pick one and that's it. Um, the example given in the video, which was really nice, uh, was that with, say, like the pirates, the Crimson Fleet, um, you're in a bad experience, you're in a bad environment, but you don't necessarily have to be bad. You can be good, you can be lawful, and you can actually uh, kind of um, um, tattletale if you want on the Crimson Fleet uh, to get them in trouble if you wanted to do that as well too, maybe become a double agent. But overall, it feels like they're trying to build in choice and opportunity that was something that was lacking out of Cyberpunk 2077. Um, outside of the first few hours of the Cyberpunk 2077, you never really felt like your life path really impacted uh, what you did in the game. I never felt like it was was something that was really kind of uh, uh, gave you different opportunities that other players who picked different paths would be able to get. Everyone got the same choice. It was either a good choice or a bad choice. And it feels like what's going on is they are looking to kind of build in this design to be able to give you the ability to to make different choices, to, to try and uh, persuade other NPCs into doing systems. So um, they talk about having new systems in dialogue to be able to um, have some of the more successful opportunities for you to, to change the way things play out. So it's not uh, positive or negative. Something is, is binary as, you know, is this a good answer or a bad answer? Are you going to be a good guy or a bad guy? It's like, maybe you could change their mind. And that's a that's a pretty lofty goal for a game. That's a that's a pretty pie in the sky. Uh, let's let's hype people up kind of comment. So I'm always very kind of hesitant to try and buy into something like that. Um, but the positive, but, but the fact that they're thinking about that says to me that they're looking at ways to try and implement that into a system. Uh, the fact that this game is scheduled to come out this year is absolutely insane because we, we really don't know a whole lot about it outside of these videos and the marketing is kicking up pretty quickly, uh, for this. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more soon in the future. I think a lot is going to be told about what this game is going to be like when we actually start to see physical gameplay, HUD elements, um, mission quests, things like that. And I would I would encourage many of you to reserve judgment. Don't get hyped up the way I did with things like Cyberpunk, where I, I had unrealistic expectations for promises that they made that I really should have kept in check because at the end of the day, I should have realized this is this is marketing and i'm being marketed to and i should be more cautious about that if i don't want to get upset about it
Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Xbox wrap up. I think this is the most focused Xbox episode I've put out considering it's episode 11. And I'm looking forward to hearing from most of you about what you thought of the ID at Xbox. Did you get a chance to watch the uh, Starfield thing? Are you excited for Starfield? Is that something that you're interested in? Uh, have you played Tunic? Is that something that you've been enjoying? Uh, where are you at with that? Because I barely just got my shield and I think I'm I'm not nearly as far as many others but definitely farther than folks that can still that are still working on getting the sword which is a, a ridiculous statement to make about a video game um are are there games that are coming out from the idea at xbox that you're excited for uh how do you feel about hogwarts legacy i left that at the top but i do want to come around on that and say that you know i think that that game is probably going to be really good and i'm really looking forward to it as well as many other games that are coming out this week so uh, hopefully you're enjoying Elden Ring if that's something that you picked up and uh, are enjoying that that gameplay style. Hopefully my my comments about a uh, not liking Dark Souls Dark Souls games hasn't dissuaded your opinion of me um, to the point where you don't want to keep listening because I do respect that game. Uh, it's just not for me and and I and I've come to terms with that. Um, so, but I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. Thanks to you, everyone who's been supporting uh, the podcast. The podcast, again, is just something I'm doing for fun. Uh, I feel like I kind of kit bash it all together on a, on a Wednesday night, record it all on a Thursday, and get it out to you on a Friday because genuinely... I feel like everyone deserves to know what's going on in the gaming industry. And if I can try and get that all done in an hour, I will definitely continue to do so. So thanks everyone for listening to the Xbox wrap up. This has been episode 11 and it has been sponsored by the letter RP1. That's it. That's all I got. Have a good one.